Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. Hey everybody, welcome to Palmetto Baptist Church. This is the student-led worship night. Usual, yeah, there you go. All right, good praise for that. Usually our church reserves the last Sunday of the month for student-led worship, but this month we actually have a special presentation related to Courtney's Uganda trip and so forth. Isn't that right? This is right. Special presentation related to Courtney's Uganda trip happening next Sunday night. So we got the nod to go ahead and do student-led worship tonight. Now at the business meeting last Sunday night, I told you that we've got a lot of good things happening in the student ministry, and I just want to reiterate to you that I'm thrilled to be here to be a part of what God's doing among us and in us and through us in this community. Uh, This group of students, I have to tell you, is really a great group. And so uh, when we're done with this service tonight, actually, we're going to be carving pumpkins over in the student building. You all have an invitation to come out and join us for that. I don't know if you'll have a pumpkin, but you can cheer us on if you uh, want to come out for that. Now, we're flipping things around a little bit tonight. Students, go ahead and hop up. We're flipping things around a little bit tonight for reasons that I hope, I think, will become obvious by the time the night is over. But first, I want to open us up in a word of prayer. And then I've asked a few of of our students to read uh, the passage of Scripture that we will be looking at tonight. So let's pray together as they get themselves nicely set up. Here we go. God in heaven, it's a great honor and a great privilege to be in your house tonight worshiping you. I pray that you would take our efforts and make them something beautiful. I pray that you would take our lives and weave them into your grand purposes. Because we've been here tonight, God, I pray that you would strengthen our faith and that we would walk out the doors that we came in charged and reignited with worship and praise for who you are and all that you do in the world. We're here tonight to worship you and celebrate your goodness, and that's what we plan to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 10. Hear the word that the Lord speaks to you, O Israel. This is what the Lord says. Do not act like other nations who try to read their future in the stars. Do not be afraid of their predictions, even though other nations are terrified by them. Their, their, ways, their ways are futile and foolish. They cut down a tree and carve an idol. They decorate it with gold and silver and fasten it securely with hammer and nails so it won't fall over. There, stand, there stands their God like a helpless scarecrow in the garden. It cannot speak, and it needs to be carried because it cannot walk. Do not be afraid of such gods, for they can neither harm you nor do any good. Lord, there is no one like you, for you are great, and your name is full of power. Who would not fear you, O King of nations? That title belongs to you alone. Among all the wise people of the earth and in all kingdoms of the world, there is no one like you. People, of, people who worship idols are stupid and foolish. The things they worship are made of wood. They bring beaten sheets of silver from Tarshish and gold from Uphaz, and, and they give these materials to skillful craftsmen who make their idols 
They then dressed these gods in royal blue and purple robes made by expert tailors. But the Lord is the only true God, the living God. He is the everlasting King. The whole earth trembles at his anger. The nations hide before his wrath. Say this to those who worship other gods. Your so-called gods who do not make the heavens and earth will vanish from the earth and from under the heavens. But God made the earth by his power, and he preserves it by his wisdom. With his own, with his own understanding, he stretched out the heavens. When he speaks in the thunder, the heavens roar with rain. He causes the clouds to rise over the earth. He sends the lightning with the rain and releases the wind from his storehouses. Compared to him, all people are foolish and have no knowledge at all. They make, they make idols, but the idols will disgrace them, their makers, for they are frauds. They have no life or power in them. Idols are worthless. They are lies. The time is coming when they will all be destroyed. But the God of Israel is no idol. He is the creator of everything that exists, including Israel, his own special possession. The Lord Almighty is his name. Thank you, students. <clears throat> As you could probably tell from these verses, there's a stark difference between the God of Israel, whom we Christians today worship as the God who revealed Himself in Jesus, and the other gods who are worshipped by the people of other lands. Those other gods who are denoted with a little g are not to be feared, but fear is certainly appropriate when you're dealing with the one true God. The prophetic speeches and actions of Jeremiah, which are commonly dated between 630 and 600 B.C., alternate, on the one hand, between indictments of Jerusalem and her citizens, and on the other hand, statements of the sentence that God intends to bring about as a result. That sentence is spelled out most plainly in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 22. Look! A great army coming from the north. A great nation is rising against you from far off lands. They are armed with bows and spears. They are cruel and show no mercy. They sound like a roaring sea as they ride forward on horses. They are coming in battle formation, planning to destroy you, beautiful Jerusalem. And the great army was, of course... Babylon. And they did finally come. In 587 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar led the Babylonian army to break through Jerusalem's protective walls, burn the city, destroy the temple, and deport the people. Jeremiah had warned them about it for over a decade. But Jerusalem's leaders tuned him out and listened instead to the astrologers who read their daily horoscopes in the stars, or perhaps Cosmopolitan magazine. The sentence was carried out just as Jeremiah said it would, but I want to go back to the indictments. What was it that brought God to this course of action? I mean, what happened... To the God who's just loving and never really gets upset about anything. What happened to that God? Well, that God, the one who never gets upset about anything, 
He isn't the God of the Bible. It's Santa Claus. The God of the Bible does get upset. And it's worth taking note about what it is that sets him off. And so you could read the Bible and make your own list if you wanted to. But I just thumbed through a few chapters there in the preceding chapters from this one in the book of Jeremiah. Here's what I wrote down. Chapter 5 talks about injustice. They refuse to provide justice to orphans and deny the rights of the poor. Chapter 6 talks about disobedience. God says, stop at the crossroads, look around, ask for the old godly way, walk in that way. Travel its path and you will find rest for its souls. But you reply, no, that's not the road we want. Chapter 7 talks about exploitation. I will be merciful only if you stop your evil thoughts and deeds and start treating each other with justice. Only if you stop exploiting foreigners, orphans, and widows. Chapter 8 talks about deception. They, being the leaders offer superficial treatments for my people's mortal wound. They give assurances of peace when there is no peace. Chapter 9 talks about dishonesty. My people bend their tongues like bows to shoot out lies. They refuse to stand up for the truth. They only go from bad to worse. They do not know me, says the Lord. Wow. So we have injustice, disobedience, exploitation, deception, and dishonesty. The people of God. And perhaps there is an un because there is an unbreakable connection between religion and ethics, what we believe and how we behave. Chapter 10 presents the most pressing problem among the people to be idolatry. They are worshiping gods other than the God who rescued them and entered into covenant with them. Back in the 1500s, Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, pointed out that the Ten Commandments begin with a commandment against idolatry. Because the fundamental motivation behind disobedience to God, he said, is idolatry. We might call it a mistake, sinful flesh, whatever. Martin Luther called it idolatry. He said that when it happens... We are worshiping gods other than the God who rescued us and entered into covenant with us. So the first commandment, you must not have any God but me. Right? It's a command against idolatry. And Luther insisted that if you're going to lie, if you're going to covet your neighbor's wife, if you're going to be selfish, if you're going to do any of these things, it's because of idolatry that you're doing it. Now, you might disagree with Luther, but that's fine. But that's what Luther said back in the 1500s. So because the stakes are so high, and the implications are so wide, the contrast that is made in Jeremiah chapter 10 is between the impotent idols who can do nothing, 
and the living God who can do everything. The first point of comparison that I want to highlight is the verbs that are used to describe what each of these can do. So look at verse 5. Their gods are like helpless scarecrows in a cucumber field. They cannot speak and they need to be carried around because they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of such gods for they can neither harm you nor do you any good. Now look at the verbs. These gods can't speak. They can't walk. They can't harm. They can't help. They're like helpless scarecrows in a cucumber field. They can't do anything. So don't waste your time with them. Now look at verses 12 and 13. Here's the contrast. But God made the earth by His power, and He preserves it by His wisdom. With His own understanding, He stretched out the heavens. When He speaks in the thunder, the heavens roar with rain. He causes the clouds to rise over the earth. He sends the lightning and the rain and releases the wind from His storehouses. Now look at the verbs. He made. He preserves. He stretched out. He speaks. He causes. He sends. He releases. And so the double statement that is made in the middle of the passage is appropriate when it says, Lord, there is no one like You. This is the God that we are called to obey. This is the God in whose image we were made. This is the God that we were made to worship. And the verbs that are used to describe what the idols can't do and what God has done can then be transposed into adjectives. Whereas the idols are false, lifeless, And limited, our God is true, living, and everlasting. That's what we read or heard read for us in verse 10. The Old Testament is adamant on this point about not worshiping other gods or idols. And I'll just give you a few references so that you see what I mean. Exodus 34, verse 14. You must worship no other gods. For the Lord, whose very name is Jealous, is a God who is jealous about His relationship with you. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 14. You must not worship any of the gods of your neighbors. For the Lord, your God, who lives among you, is a jealous God. His anger will flare up against you, and He will wipe you off the face of the earth. Isaiah 46, verses 5 to 7. To whom will you compare me? This is God speaking. Who is my equal? Some people pour out their silver and gold and hire a craftsman to make a god from it. And then they bow down and they worship it. They carry it on their shoulders. And when they set it down, it stays there. It can't even move. So basically, if you can give your god a piggyback ride, it's safe to assume that your god is too small. 
So over and over again throughout the Bible, the warning comes through loud and clear. Idolatry, chasing after other gods to give us the significance, peace, and security that we so desire, is off limits for the people of the one true God. But you can imagine, you can imagine the temptation, can't you? If you were a farmer in those days, you needed rain to make the crops grow. Now, Jonathan Wood just came out and planted a tree in my yard about a week ago, and he told me now it's going to need some water. I have not prayed for rain because I have a sprinkler. Okay? So you've got to get back in the time frame in which this was happening. You needed rain to make your crops grow. No rain, no food. No food your family doesn't eat. No eating, you starve. Now what if it hasn't rained for three weeks? You're getting nervous about whether or not there's going to be enough food at the end of the month. You start cutting back on what you have now, just in case. And another week goes by. No rain. You remember a guy that you ran into a few months ago down at the farmer's market? Another farmer. And he told you about his prayers to a god called Baal, the god of rain. They seem to work for him. Why not give it a try? My prayers don't seem to be working anyway. And so you cover your bets, double down, and say a prayer to Baal, the god of rain too, just in case there's something to what that guy said. It's better to be safe than sorry, right? And that seems logical. It really seems logical. Now, we're not all farmers, and we do it all the time with our stocks and investments. Right? We diversify our portfolios so that if one stock isn't paying off, then hopefully it'll be offset by another one that is. Smart investors, we hear, you don't put it all in one place. You diversify. But what might make a good payoff with the invisible hand of the market does not pay off with the living God. It's called idolatry, and it has terrible consequences. So before you zone out and think this is a historical lesson about ancient farming practices and prayers and totem poles raised up for unknown gods that we don't have in Georgia unless you go to Stone Mountain at the top of the mountain when they're doing rain dances, then you'll see what I'm talking about. I want to mention a verse that I find suggestive, and maybe it'll bring it a little closer to home. Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 3. It says, These men have set up idols in their hearts. They didn't have to go out in the backyard and construct an Asherah pole to commit idolatry. They just turned their hearts away from God in pursuit of other things to give them the significance, peace, and security that they desired. 
We'll turn. We'll turn. They, like we, could be seduced. Now today, if you think about it, the usual pursuits for adults involve money, power, and sex. For students, the pursuits involve toys, popularity, and appearance. And you should notice that the pursuits of the adults correspond precisely to the pursuits of students, with the only difference being the few years of germination that causes the toys to become money, the popularity to become power, and the appearance to become sex. Now perhaps it's possible that kids pick up on more of what they see adults doing than what they hear adults saying. I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know I'm going to be like you. You know that song? These are our contemporary idols. And just this week, several Christian leaders have come under fire for just these things. James McDonald, who pastors Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago and leads the radio ministry called Walk in the Word, was approached by members of his church who voiced their concerns about his leading the church very, very deep into debt, while at the same time increasing his own salary from the church from $250,000 a year to $350,000 a year in the midst of the struggling economy. Now those members, as I understand the story were rebuffed by McDonald, and so they are now former members who have gone public with their concerns. C.J. Mahaney, who leads Sovereign Grace Ministries and wrote a book called Humility, just emerged from an extensive interior, uh, internal organizational investigation about his conduct and leadership, which exemplified everything but humility. And now the church that he pastored is facing allegations of a two-decade-long conspiracy to conceal sexual abuse that was committed by church members. Dinesh D'Souza, who was a prominent Christian spokesman and the guy behind the film about President Obama called 2016, spent the night in a hotel with a woman who is not his wife after he gave a presentation in South Carolina. When he was questioned about it, He said that the woman he stayed with was just his fiancée. No harm in that. No harm unless he's already married, which he is. (laughs) So he filed for divorce from his wife. Now, sensing the PR nightmare brewing, the King's College in New York, where he is president, called a quick board meeting, got to do some damage control, and that resulted in him breaking off his engagement with this lady until the divorce can finally go through. But that's going to take a while because it just got filed on October the 4th. Now, I don't single these guys out to cast doubts on their ministries. Some of them have said some really good things. And I'm not a reporter, and I don't know all the facts, so just know that up front. But I can watch the news just like anybody else can, and these guys are all over it. So I just point them out to reiterate also that none of us, myself included, none of us is immune to the temptation 
to value something more than we value the goodness and glory of God. That's why we keep coming back Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, because we've got to keep redeciding, keep recommitting to say, no, no, I will not be seduced. Nothing trumps the goodness and glory of God in my life. My heart will be satisfied with nothing less. Miss a couple of weeks and you don't say that with near the boldness. And you know that's true. So we keep coming together because we can all be seduced into thinking, at least temporarily, that our contemporary idols will give us that significance or that peace or that security that we want. They might start off as a little side project to diversify our means of entertainment. Or maybe it starts off as a little project to find some other source of satisfaction. But what begins with that little crack in the door, it has the potential to become a full-fledged idol that leaves no part of our lives untouched. Because again, there is an un breakable connection between religion and ethics. What we believe to be true shows up in what we do. What we believe to be true shows up in what we do. Tim Keller pastors a church in Manhattan and he's not in the news this week. But he has written a very helpful book in which he labels our contemporary idols as counterfeit gods. Counterfeit gods. Now he writes, a counterfeit god is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. What might that be for you? What might that be? It might be something. It might be nothing. Either way, I want to give you a minute to sit and think about it. goes on to counsel that the only way to free ourselves from the destructive influence of counterfeit gods 
is to turn back to the true one. Right? You want to knock over the destructive idols in your life. You get serious about it. A renewed vision of God will knock the helpless scarecrow right off his stand, right out of that cucumber field. A renewed vision of God. That's really what this Jeremiah text is trying to give us. 16 verses. Don't worship the, the, the counterfeit gods. Don't worship the helpless scarecrows. Don't worship the idols. Instead, worship God. Our God made. He preserves. He stretched out. He speaks. He causes. He sends. He releases. He is present and active in the world, in our lives, and there is no one like Him. He is the only true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. And tonight, He is worthy of our worship. So now as the student band comes up to lead us in a few songs, I want us to pray together as we prepare ourselves to join together in singing praises to this great and mighty God who has claimed us to be His people. Let's pray. God, give us a renewed vision of who You are. Your goodness, Your truth, Your beauty, Your justice, Your love. Help us to cast down our idols tonight. Whatever it is that is holding us down or keeping us back from being the men and women that You desire us to be, help us cast it down. I pray that we would look to You and be strengthened by what we see. So as we sing these songs of worship and praise, it is our desire that You would be pleased, not only with the lyrics, but most importantly, with our lives. And we pray this to You in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.